And what do the red crabs dream about during the dry season when they crawl into their burrows, block up their openings with wads of leaves, fold their legs under their carapaces and wait for rain? Do they drift in and out of daydreams and night fevers? Do they entertain erotic fantasies of what they will do to each other in their holiday burrows by the sea? Do they lie there willing every water particle that the heat has drawn out of the earth to gather in the atmosphere and fall in one freak meteoric release so that a tidal wave will push the Indian Ocean across the island, lifting up vehicles and dropping them on human young as they cross the road for school? Is this vision their revenge for all the young crabs which have been flattened beneath the wheels of RAV4s? And do we pick this dreaming up subliminally? Does it manifest in our shaky hands, our nervous driving, our trepidatious glances towards the sea? Or do the crabs dream themselves up as a new reincarnated megafauna brought back by geneticists who never could shake off their guilt for the damage the Anthropocene reaped on the planet? They bring back the tiny pipistrelle bat and, giddy with power, they then search crab chromosomes for genes which were expressed when megafauna prowled the island and humans were yet to be a terrible accident of breeding apes. These new mega crabs, the size of RAV4s, let's say, will love the island with their mouths. They will strip leaves of low-lying branches They will break into supermarkets and pillage the cool room. They will crack the lock on the morgue and eat our frozen dead. The locals will have no choice but to install a warning siren for use during the wet season when the mega crabs emerge from the jungle and move into town foraging for food. Then we will hide in the detention centre and lock the gate from the inside. We will think... We have seen this before. We will think how like the raptor cage in Jurassic Park these compartments are as the crabs scale the sides, their carapaces heavy with 100 million eggs. We will think, how can we share an island with that many young? And then we will not think because such numbers are unimaginable. We will close our eyes and dream of drowning in our shells, turning our home into a lost Atlantis. Red Crab by Pip Smith. Originally read a couplet, a reading night in Newcastle. This is Or It Didn't Happen. Stories from Sydney and beyond. The next story was written and read by Rachel Ang. It comes with a content warning. Ghost Girlfriend. At the breaking of the day, I pulled the bed apart, broke up with my boyfriend, and kicked him out the door. Today was going to be a good day. I fucked a ghost last night. I was inside her and she was telepathically in every part of me. I woke up when I felt the sun on my face. She was in the sunlight. I felt calm and happy and she was in every part of me. I got up to make coffee and she was in the coffee cup. I asked my new lover about her past. She has always lived in this house, and she has fucked everyone who has ever lived in the house. My housemates later confirmed this. At first, I am intimidated by this, but I soon learned to enjoy being fucked by so much time. When we lie together, I see every one of your past selves as a clear, distinct echo before they blend together 
and all my possible pasts and potential futures rise to meet you. Body as warm, multi-dimensional seismograph. Deep time, deep space, deep love. I introduce my new girlfriend to my friends, who try to be polite but are clearly confused. Later, one of them asks me for intimate details, but how do you fuck avoid? The ghost, who hears everything, responds, well, that's rude. Is there a word for polyamorous but plural temporalities? A quantum fuckfest? The twin, the doppelganger, the replica, the clone, the mirror, the shadow, the understudy, the aggressor, the nemesis, the enemy, the interloper, the ghost. A dash is a pause. Two dashes hovering one over the other forms an equal sign. After, um, for a while, I suppose she is now my de facto ghost. She is keen to contribute around the house, so we hit up Gumtree looking for an appropriate gig, but most jobs discriminate against the incorporeal. Finally, through an ex-boyfriend of mine, she gets a job in the Lunar Park ghost train. She is the only real ghost, but the humans in costume seem not to notice. She takes the job very seriously. Now she always seems tired. She never jumps out from behind walls to scare me, like she used to. When I bring this up, she seems vaguely offended. I do that all day at work. I don't want to bring my work home. Loosey-goosey, touchy-feely, shaking leaf, flesh frond, flim-flam, playtime, funny peculiar. We start to quarrel more and more, and I worry that she exists less and less. Is part of her being absorbed into me? An all-too-human problem. One night, we are fighting, and she yells telepathically, You have so many shadows, it's like you're already haunted. I don't understand. I thought that's what you liked about me. When I start to cry, she freezes my tears and flicks them away like dust. I'm an outside with an inside, and I live between the two. My perpetual movement over this continuous surface makes the volume, but don't ask me how. You were inside me, and now you are outside. Your absence does not create deficit. I was always becoming whole. I was always becoming void, always full enough, always empty. One day, I sit on the porch all night, waiting for her to come home. I realise now that I was the catalyst for her leaving the house, the house to which she had always been bound. I realise now that I may be the oblivious evictor unknowingly colonising the home in which she had known 100 lovers. At the breaking of the day, the sun appearing as a thin golden line over the horizon, as like my lover's face when she comes and comes and comes and she never comes home and 
I move out the next month. This next story is by Victoria Manifold. It also has a content warning. Spine. And of course, the side effect of it all was that I can now smell through my spine. I'd grown a cluster of cilia around the thoracic vertebrae, thinning out at either end towards Atlas at the top and the coccyx at the bottom. When I put on clean clothes, my back is suffocating with the faint stench of dried-in sweat, masked by the stronger smell of the fabric conditioner that was half price last week when I did my big shop. When my overfriendly boss puts on his arm around me at the budget meeting, I know he peeled a satsuma an hour or so ago, and then the numbers on the spreadsheet don't seem to make sense anymore. When it's night and you're stroking my back in the darkness, I'm aware of how your fingers smell and what they might have touched in the recent past. When you kiss my back, I can smell your tongue and teeth and can guess what your last meal was. Today, I think you had brown rice and corn for lunch. I think you drank too much coffee this afternoon. When you're spooning me, I can smell your skin from the top of your pubic hair almost to your beard. And your skin smells good, like sweat and dirt and beer and cigarettes. When I smell the entire length of your torso through my back, I think about boys in crowded pubs when I was 17 and how I'd inhale them when they pushed past me. In the old horseshoe or the Royal Sun Inn, squeezed against the bodies of men who are young but still older than me, and I can hardly breathe from the smell of their skin and hair and clothes. Peeling the soles of my shoes from sticky floors, I'm lumpy and pale and throbbing and too moist and absolutely choking on the stench of them. Fishboy is next, by Sophia Malika. It comes with a content warning, but also a mild spoiler warning for The Shape of Water. Um, My comic today is about a date I went on last year where I believe I perfected my method of choosing the right person to initiate a romantic relationship with. And the method is called Weeding Out the Week. (laughs) Or it's family-friendly title, Fish Dick. Okay, so last year I was dating this guy. Um, You know, non-threatening, good taste in shirts, said he was going to wear a bow tie but didn't and I'm not bitter and also has no idea of what's coming. (laughs) An actual good person I had almost nothing in common with who shall now be referred to solely as fish boy. (laughs) Sorry about this fish boy. You deserve better. But I haven't heard from you in about a year and I hope you're doing well. We were playing casual date chicken, waiting for the other person to break up and agree that, hey, this really isn't going anywhere and we could still be friends, but this dating experience has been the foundation of our relationship and we aren't really going to sink any more time into it. (laughs) We'd done a bunch of stuff together, but our last formative date and the pinnacle one, to be honest, was another excursion to the cinema whereby he placed the responsibility of picking a film on me. I checked movie times. Coco. The skeleton scared me a little. The Florida Project, I was already very depressed. Greatest Showman, uh, not super into slavery. And Ferdinand, starring cinematic heavyweight John Cena. He said, I don't mind, you choose. 
which is a lot of power to put in the hands of someone you really have no investment in knowing better. And if I'm good at casual date chicken, I'm the fucking champion of fake it till they break it bingo, AKA getting to pick a film for someone to watch on your terms, knowing that they are probably not going to enjoy the experience as much as you are watching them watch it. I ended up at a screening of the Disney Pixar classic Planes Fire Rescue for similar reasons. And I was like, holy shit, I could fuck this guy up. So we go to see The Shape of Water. (laughs) Full disclosure, this film had been on my radar for almost a year ever since I saw Guillermo del Toro hashtag monsterfucker trending on Twitter. I knew roughly what the film was about and also that would be the perfect film to watch with an unsuspecting audience. For the two people in the world who are hibernating for the six-month period prior to this film's release, The Shape of Water is a romantic, hyper-stylized vision of nostalgia and forbidden relationships carried through a smudgy neo-noir lens. It received praise for its visuals, script, casting and tone and even won a coveted Academy Award on its first try. Wow! I wanted to see it. And I wanted Fishboy to see it. Because I knew Sally Hawkins got to fuck Doug Jones and Fish Cosplay right there on the big screen. That's what she deserved. Hell yeah, baby. He said, oh, neat, I haven't heard of that one. My response was, uh, it's directed by Guillermo del Toro. <laughs> cool, like Pacific Rim? In more ways than you know. The day comes. We are both keen for vastly different reasons. Him for the film he thinks is coming. Me for his response to the film he thinks is coming. I'll come out and say that the actual intercourse scene itself is both short and non-explicit. For all the hype, it was a little disappointing that the act itself was hand-waved away to a non-threatening gesture to Octavia Spencer. But still, when she filled her bathroom up with water and locked the door, I turned to see Fishboy's expression and... In that brief 30 seconds, it looked as though he eclipsed the spectrum of human emotion entirely. Before landing on a poker face to force tranquility, it was everything I had hoped for. The rest of the film passed in relative silence, his mouth firmly zipped shut. The film ends. We are one of three other couples in the cinema, another of whom are both geriatric and traumatised. As we leave, I ask him what he thought. Not a lot like Pacific Rim. (laughs) Did you like it? (laughs) Sure. Uh, Did you know what it was about beforehand? A little. Cool. And I never saw him again. (laughs) The end. Fishboy was originally read at Read to Me. The next piece is read by Pat Grant and written by me. Twelve parties without you. The first party was hard. Holding on to my drink, answering my friends one by one when they asked me, how are you? The second party seemed better. Somebody talked about subduction, elevators, silt, trivia about geology that I'd never heard before, would never hear again, but that, for one night, rained new ideas through my head. A man smiled at me 
It was nothing, but the smile was good. Then I told my friend Mary about us. She fell into tears. She had to sit down her wine. I almost broke. The third party seemed like the hardest, but it wasn't the hardest. You by the bathroom, talking with our Game of Thrones friends. Me by the door, greeting and goodbyeing, trading cool pleasantries on weight, on earrings, on kids. We passed each other once and briefly in the kitchen. You said hello. I said hello. You walked on. I did too. The fourth party, I saw my sister across the room. She smiled at me and and I frowned a little. She threw me like a question mark frown. I smiled and she frowned more and I smiled more. She twisted her drink at me. I drank up and smirked little bubbles. I wanted to tell you, you weren't there. I can't tell you anymore. I have to remember. The fifth party, he smiled at me again. Out the back door, among leftover cigarettes and empty cans, he almost kissed me. When I went home, I was filled with fire, a white fire inside, like wind. The sadness is still there, the colour of pitch, it's long, it has no end, but now I have fire as well. The sixth party was in a tiny flat. It was so tight that even though I knew you didn't bring her, I knew about her and felt her by your side. And her presence was crushed into a presence all its own, like Superman crushing coal into a diamond with sharp edges. Every time I got near you, it cut me. Nothing is sharper than that. The seventh party, it was outdoors, there were stars. I saw him, but he had to leave early. I got his number. I'm not sure if I'm ready for his number. I feel like I'm losing my marbles. There's some space inside me where you used to rattle. That emotional ballast you used to give me. What would you say to me if I asked you if I should go with him? You would say, go. You have her and it suits you I should be happy. Does it suit me to be happy? You would say, I'm not yours now. You're not mine. I'm not yours now. You're not mine. We had an orbit, you used to say, like marbles, like planets, I'd say. Like marbles on Einstein's trampoline, you'd say. I got it, but it wasn't very funny. You're not mine. No stupid jokes, no marbles. All my gravity is gone. He wasn't at the eighth party. Everyone was talking on eggshells. No one said, how are you? They just said, hi. They had dips. We had to watch sport. They still narrow their eyes. It passes. It's been months. I texted him and smiled. 
He took me to the ninth party. We sniggered together, ate cereal, drank a bit, then I drove him home. At the tenth party, I was scared to see you. In the end, you snuck in during the speeches while I was piling dips on my bread. By the time I turned around, you were gone. I looked for you. He flicked away a speck of hummus on my lip. I glanced at him and I was full of this anger that I couldn't explain. By the 11th party, I was through with him. I saw you with her. We kissed across the garden behind the barbecue. I was still and I felt nothing. I smiled then, but at home, at night, by myself, I cried. The 12th party was easy. You weren't there. I didn't think of you. I had some pizza. When they opened the door for me to go home, they asked me, are you going home? I looked out the door. I could go anywhere, I thought. All by myself. Existing in expectation for everything exciting to envelop my every existence patiently. Longing to linger in lust. To live through lavish lickings of long, lazy, lounging, entranced in a state of pure love. I have been dreaming of flesh. Flesh on flesh on flesh, breath on breath. Breathing each breath brings me closer to heaven, even closer to death. I have been gazing into the sun, to the sky, to the stars, to sorcery. Send me signals, some foresight for something, featuring someone festering for sensation, simmering slowly. I have been wondering, where is he? In his absence, I have been playing, dancing in the dark den of my deepest desires, draping my dreary air in disco as I drop pop to the flow in my bedroom. I have been creating, carefully crafting chaos, making clearly confounded choices in an attempt to capture captivating scenes of sadness and madness and gladness of my awareness of my womanness and gratefulness for the spaciousness of my consciousness. I have been discovering the divinity of my existence, the result of my persistence to live in harmony, release resistance. This journey has been my assistance to discover I have been waiting to fall in love, to live lovingly. I have found that entity. I have been waiting for me. That was Waiting for Love by Caramel Sauce Mel. Mel usually performs that poem live, and you can find out more via Instagram. Search for Caramel Sauce Mel, all one word. Our first story, Red Crab, was originally recorded at Couplet, a regular poetry night in Newcastle. 
You can find them at coupletpoetry.com. C-U-P-L-E-T for couplet. Pip Smith. Visit pipsmith.com. Ghost Girlfriend was recorded by Sleep Talker's Beck Fari, whose work you can find at sleeptalkerpodcast.com. It was originally a comic on Instagram, and more of Rachel Lang's work, lots more, can be found at drawby4.com. That's F-O-U-R, like the word. We'll also link to the original Instagram comics in our show notes. Thanks also to Jordan Fennell. Fishboy was also originally a comic. It was recorded at the live comics reading night, Read to Me. More of Sophie Malika's work can be found at sophiemalika.com. That's S-O-P-H-I-A-M-E-L-I-K-A. You can find Read to Me by searching for Read to Me on Facebook. Spine was originally published in Victoria Manifold's collection of short stories, Tired Bodies. Look for more of Victoria via Instagram by searching for Victoria underscore Manifold. 12 Parties Without You was originally recorded by Jess O'Callaghan and read by Bethany Atkinson Clinton for FBI's All the Best. This time around, it was read by artist Pat Grant, who also helped write some additional material. Pat's latest book is called The Grot. You can find out more at patgrant.com. Dave Goldschmidt did the original sound design, and we used it again for this version. The story was written by me. Origin Happen was also produced and hosted by me. I'm Sasha Rosen. Show art is by Annie Hamilton. Episode art by Rachel Ang. Find more of the show on the web at fbiradio.com slash or it didn't happen or by looking back at the old episodes on our podcast feed. We'll have more stories for you from Sydney and beyond next week. <laughs>